0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Galatians and to chapter 2. The passage we're going to look at today uh, is uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 through 21. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The guys will bring it to you. If you get a Bible from us, it's page 631. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 through 21. I, I want to bring you up. I, I, the guys know this, but this morning I wrote it, where I wrote it down. Need a Bible ran really high. Right? This morning at six forty-seven, I took all of the notes I had and threw them away and started over, um, and only because I'm trying to get my arms around this. Uh, and Tim and I talked uh, about this because the last three weeks, this week, and the next two are very much the same theme, and I don't want to. I don't want to run away from that and go, "Gosh, I need to come up with something new." Paul did not seem compelled to. Come up with something new, so so obviously he has a point in this repetition. Uh, What I want to do today is uh, look at these verses and make sure we understand the context. But I want to spend the bulk of the time on verses 16 and probably verse 20. So what I'd love to do is take a little bit of extra time as I read through and make some comments along the way, knowing that I'm not necessarily going to get back to every one of these verses, but make sure that, you, that we keep this in the context. Reminding you this, Paul is writing this, church, this letter to uh, who he describes in verse 2 as the churches plural in Galatia. So that's a, a region uh, in Asia. He's writing to churches, primarily churches, that he visited, he planted, Uh, He's now moved on. He has gotten word that coming in behind him is a group of guys called the Judaizers. And what they are, they are Jews who are saying to these Gentiles. So remember now what's happened? Up to kind of this point, the gospel has been Jews preaching to Jews. As the message goes out to the Gentiles, an issue arises. And the issue is this. Do Gentiles, as they become Christians, need to first become Jews? Do do they need to hear the ceremonial law and and the laws of Judaism and the Judaizers? Paul Paul's answer is definitely not. The Judaizers are coming back, and what they do is they attack Paul's authenticity as an apostle, and then the message. So they're coming back and they're saying, "Listen, here's what Paul's preaching, and Paul's message is salvation by grace through faith." And they're saying, "Listen, that that's not the gospel. It's part of the gospel to some extent, but that's not the gospel." So Paul, understanding that this is a huge issue, the gospel itself is at stake. So we can talk, and again, we talk all the time amongst ourselves about where do you draw lines? What are the what are the, what are the issues you go to the map for? And there, there's some of those issues that that we that are totally preference. There's some that are even biblical issues, but we don't feel necessarily that they rise to the point that we need to to get into to this huge battle. But when it comes to the gospel. That's the very heart of the Christian faith. And we have, we have no place in there but to hit those issues when, when the gospel's attacked, when the gospel screams out. Um, uh, we, we, have, we have no feeling but to attack and, and go, listen, this is a gospel. This is the center of the Christian faith. So, so Paul tells us in chapter 2 that after 14 years, he went back to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. And he submitted to uh, Peter and James and John the gospel that he preached. And the gospel that he preached is the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. And he took with him Barnabas and Titus. And Titus was an uncircumcised Greek. And Paul gives us the information in chapter 2, verse 3, that at the end of the time, what, what happened actually is that they decided, the the pillars of the church, decided that Titus, to to circumcise him, would be to, in fact, somehow cave into the Judaizers to give them some sort of support to their message and say, no, the, the gospel is salvation by grace through faith, and nothing is added to it. So that's the battle. That's the discussion that goes on. We saw last week that the scene shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch, and at Antioch, what had happened is Peter had come to Antioch. And when Peter got among the Gentiles, he ate with them, uh, he celebrated with them, uh, he went to church with them, and then the Judaizers came in and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, and Peter caved, so that we left, and and again, Paul confronts him, chapter 2, verse 11, he opposed him to his face, why? Verse 14, the truth of the gospel is at stake, and he opposed him in the presence of all, because this had taken place in front of everyone, and this is where we left off. If you, being a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like a Jew? And he's saying, listen, you came with this great sense of freedom. Uh, you, you came understanding the gospel. You ate with them, and then when the Judaizers came, when the opposition came, you caved in. You ran away. And, and you, presented, you presented a breach in terms of fellowship, and, and, and to me, and, and obviously the focus here is on Peter, to me the one that you scratch your head about is in verse 13, is about Barnabas. This is Barnabas that had been with, with, with Paul on all of these occasions. He had seen the miracles and the works and signs and wonders that had happened in Paul's ministry. He'd been a huge supporter of Paul from the very beginning. And yet, and we spent some time on this last week, Peter, I, I assume the same is true of Barnabas, because of the fear of man, pull away. So Paul confronts them. Well, now's the continuation of this. My assumption is you understand that when the churches at Galatia would get this letter, they would sit down and they would read it. We're spending like 13 or 14 weeks on it. And, and, And so consequently, we're making breaks, taking times where we stop and then begin. And they're not times that necessarily they would stop and begin. These sections sometimes divide easily. This is a section that continues. So I want to continue that thought, but I want to come back to what, to me, is the big idea of this passage. So as I'm going to read through it, make some observations along the way, and it begins with the first word of verse 15. He says, we, and he uses that that plural personal pronoun four times in verse 15, 16, 17. We are Jews. So he means he, Peter, all all of those who by birth were were Jews, okay, okay. He said, said, "We who are by nature are Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles." So, so he said, "We're, "We're not Gentile sinners; we're just Jewish sinners." Verse 16, and this becomes just huge. This is one of those verses that if you make a list, every once in a while I'll make a suggestion. You ought to have like in the front of your Bible or in a, on, a, on your phone or in an iPad, something, kind of just a list of verses that you come back to again and again. This would be one of them. This is a really important verse. Nevertheless, okay, knowing that a man is not justified, so it's the first time he's used that word in this book, Becomes a keyword, central idea. What do I have to do to be declared righteous before God? A man is not justified by works of the law, but is justified through faith in Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of law. Since by the works of law, no flesh will be justified. So there's the there's the big idea is to be in right standing before God requires faith in Christ, not in any human effort. We'll come back to it. Verse 17, kind of an odd verse. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, so here I am, and I'm saying Jesus is Lord, we ourselves also are found sinners. So he said, if that doesn't save me, if I'm not justified in that, then he says, we have a really big problem, then Christ is a minister of sin. In his paraphrase, Eugene Peterson says, uh, uh, Christ is an accessory of sin. So we're going to come back and we're going to say, because here's what Jesus said. You know, to, to, be, to be saved or delivered or justified, uh, I need to believe in him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son who believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If salvation is works or has a works component to it, then even Jesus now is a minister of sin. He said, obviously, may that never be. Now he shifts the personal pronoun from plural to singular. He said, for if I rebuild what I once destroy, so if I go back into this form of Judaism, here's what's happened. I prove myself to be a transgressor. If I go back... And we understand salvation by grace through faith. And I come back, and now I start to add to it works. I start to add, and we'll, we'll talk in a minute about what that, that can have all shapes and sizes and looks. If I go back and add to it, I'm a transgressor, for through the law, I died to the law, so I'm not responsible to the law. Why? So that I might live to God. All the law produces in me, if I go back up to verse 16, the last part, the law All it does is condemn the flesh, not justify it. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, so I was with the law, not now. Now I'm crucified with Christ, so it's not only I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not me living for God, it's Christ living in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who... And this is huge, the last part of verse 20, is his motivation for all that God does. He loved me, and he demonstrated his love. His love is demonstrative in this way, is that he gave himself for me. I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So that's just a kind of a quick overview of the passage. Again, if you look at verses 15, 6, 17, 18, 19, He's giving us this, this battle. He's giving us this picture. And what he's saying is, listen, I understood the law. As it relates to Judaism, I, I am supreme in that effort. Keep your finger right there and turn to the right two books, to the book of Philippians. And just remind you, I think we looked at this two or three weeks ago, where, where Paul talks about his pedigree. And he's talking about salvation by the faith or by flesh. And by that, he means through human effort, through what I do. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, if anyone else has mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more, for he was. Now, he talks about his heritage here. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. So if we work our way back up, from the back, from the end to the top, he's saying, as it relates to the law, I'm blameless. In in terms of righteousness that could be found in the law, I've followed it all. In terms of the the church, the the Christian movement, as it began to gain ground, I, I didn't just condemn it, I persecuted it with the understanding of what God taught in that Old Testament. I just didn't study it. I was a Pharisee and and, and supreme among them. But Paul Paul said, that's all my human effort. But whatever things were gained to me, all those things, those things I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. And he said, here's the supreme value, verse 8, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's not understanding about him. It's knowing him in a personal way, having a personal relationship with him. Verse 10, that I might know him, and not just him, but with it comes the the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And, And he goes on to say, I haven't already obtained all this in verse 12. I'm not perfect, but I regard myself not as having laid hold of it, but one thing I I do is I forget what lies behind. I reach forward to what lies ahead, and I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, here was all that. All all of those things are but filthy rags. All all of those things, if you will, the King James says they're dung, as compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And, and, And so he's taking... And speaking specifically now to the Jewish heritage and the Jewish faith. And he said, for us to go back into that is a denial of the gospel. In the book of Job, Job begins to deal with his friends, and he has a friend named Bildad. And Bildad asks a question that's recorded in Job chapter 25, verse 4. He said, How then can a man be just? with God how can a holy God accept a sinful man differently how can a sinful man appease a holy God and and throughout history there's been essentially two answers to the question and the two answers have been this either through man's effort or through grace by faith those are the only two options Those are the only two possibilities. And so when we talk about religion, we talk about two big buckets. In in one bucket is biblical Christianity. In the other bucket is everything else. In the other bucket is anything that would fall in the category of religion. And all of those other religions, other than biblical Christianity have a component with them of human effort. So, so what I want to do is, is take the whole Jewish thing we've been looking at and set that aside for a while and, and try to get into our grill here. So, so we don't have probably maybe a handful of you who have a Jewish tradition, maybe some, but not many. But you have a bunch of you who have a Catholic background. How many of you have come from a Catholic background? A bunch of you. Methodist? Yeah, they don't usually hang long here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Mormon background. Okay. Well, we just take all of them and just bundle them together. And, and though they're nuanced, you see, the, you, see the, you see the conflict. On this side, you have salvation by grace through faith. On this, you have everything else. And what he's saying to you and me is, your Catholicism isn't saving you. Your Mormonism isn't saving you. Your Methodism isn't saving you. Episcopalians not saving you. Whatever those things are, they aren't saving you. They're not redeeming you. And I would go so far, this is me now, I'd go so far as to say they're likely in the way. A couple of years ago, uh, I was a, either at Easter or Christmas, I don't remember which but I was in kind of a funky mood, and in the whole process of all of that, uh, uh, during the message, what happened was, I, I was asking people, and, and, and the staff said, we sh- you shouldn't do this again, so we won't do it again, but, but I want to make, they're not here now anyway, uh, but I'll make that point. I, I, I said, I don't understand why you come on Easter and Christmas. I, I don't understand why you would come and join us on Easter and Christmas, and, and, and here's my fear. It's not that you aren't welcome. But my fear is, rather than help you, it gets in the way. Because you walk away and say, gee, I go on Easter and Christmas. So, so Paul's saying about his Judaism, you know, my, we, we can say it about our Catholicism, we can say it about any of these. None of those things get me right with God. And strict adherence to them can actually get in the way. Because it feeds the flesh. It, it feeds the idea that I'm doing something. So you have biblical Christianity, and then everything else. Now, everything else may have Jesus in it. So if you sit down, and, and I, I, I mean, I'll just let's talk about. I mean, I know Catholics because Catholic grade school, high school, college. I understand Catholicism. I'll just stay there. I don't even need to get into any others. They're going to say to you, "Jesus died for my sin." All right, I'm down with that. But when you push them, you're going to find one of two things: either A, same language, different dictionary, have different terms, or B. Jesus died for my sin, and I need to do something. So when my father died, there were a whole bunch of people who spent money on masses uh, for his benefit and, and, and to somehow either save his soul or move his soul from purgatory into, into heaven. And, and I, you know, I mean, I, I, here you go. When he died, he's either in heaven or hell. That's the end of it. You can burn candles and say masses till you're green. It isn't moving him. The die is cast. And and what's deeper in this whole conversation, and I've had a thousand of them, is when you get into that, you're demonstrating that you don't believe salvation is by grace through faith. There's still something to do. The whole idea of a purgatory, the whole idea is that there's something left to do. Listen, it's either biblical Christianity or everything else. They're all the same. They're human effort. You do something. You don't do this. It's Lent. We'll give up candy for 40 days. I would always give up asparagus. Asparagus, anything green. I, give, I, would, give, I would give up anything green except chocolate and ice cream. But I would give up anything green. But, and I'm not trying to belittle that. I'm not trying to be frivolous. But I'm saying this is really serious. This is the, the biggest issue we will ever deal with. How, how am I, as a sinful person, justified before a holy God? Because indeed, that's my dilemma. The Bible says we come into this world separated from God because of our sin. The wage of sin is death. That that, death means not just physical death, but death has with it the idea of separation, that my sin has separated me from God, and this is the condition Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Romans Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that all of us are in this condition. There is no exception to this. In fact, let's go ahead. I'm going to do this. I didn't don't think I did this first hour. Just kind of mark that spot, and because I'm going there off the cuff, I don't have a page number for you, but it's the book of Romans. So go to the left if you have a Bible from us, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, Paul issues uh, what is a blanket indictment against all of mankind. So here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There is none who does good. No, not one. And there's something in us that when we read that, we go, wait a minute. That's not true. Nana. What about Nana? Nana was so good. Nana could bake. Nana was sweet. Okay? Okay. And what the Bible said is, even the good things that Nana did, she did them with a wrong heart. I always use Thanksgiving dinner as an illustration. Because all the ladies, and I, I don't mean to be this offensive, but we're a long way away from Thanksgiving so we can say it. So I would listen to these ladies. These ladies, will, you ladies, will spend six, seven, eight hours for Thanksgiving dinner. And you will always say, it's always for everybody. And then you'll bemoan the fact that it's over in 10 or 15 minutes. Okay? Now, I would suggest... You didn't do it for everybody. You did it for yourself. If that's the case, you didn't care if it took them 5, 10, 20 minutes, or an hour. Big old spread. All these things, the Bible shows us our heart is just wicked. So when I do, this is a gigantic point. When I do anything to try to please God, all I do is is present my sinful wickedness to him. Anything that I do to try to comply with the law, any effort, is, is, is not from a pure motive. That's why when Paul goes on here, look at verse 19, still in Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth will be closed, and all the world may become accountable, because the works of the law, no flesh, will be justified in his sight. So the works of the law. In this case, it's the law of Judaism, but it's the law of man. It's the flesh. For all of us have sinned. We're separated from God, but apart, verse 21, but apart from the law, the righteousness of God is manifest. So we come back to this very basic question. What must I do to be saved? How does a holy God accept a sinful man? How is a sinful man do anything that's good before a holy God? The wage of sin is death. So here's the bad news, is that our sin and its effect is that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, separated from God, helpless, nothing we can do, but not hopeless, because Christ died so that we might have eternal life. I want to go back to Galatians, and we're going to hang in verse uh, 16 for a while. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, know that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. So if we believed in Christ, so we'll be justified by faith, but not by works of the law. The, the word justified, really an important term, central really to the understanding of the gospel. It's a term that's a legal term. It's used in a court of law. It means to be innocent or acquitted, cleared of all charges, declared righteous. It's the opposite of of condemned or guilty. And, And what Paul is saying here is we are acquitted and innocent, forgiven, pardoned, not based on anything that we do, but based completely on what Christ did. And again, the emphasis can't be too great on this. Jack Pecker writes, The doctrine of justification by faith is like Atlas. It bears a world on its shoulders. The entire evangelical knowledge of saving grace. When Protestants let the thought of justification drop out of their minds... The true knowledge of salvation drops with it and can't be restored until the truth of justification is in its proper place. Luther claims if the doctrine of justification is lost, the whole of Christianity is lost. So there it is in verse 16. It's his whole point. Really simple. There's two approaches to justification. There's two approaches by which man claims to be able to be just before God. One is through human efforts, it's called the works of the law here. The other is through faith, and it's through faith in Christ, that Christ died for our sin. Again, Martin Luther writes, the true meaning of Christianity is this, that a man first acknowledged through the law that he is a sinner, for whom it is impossible to perform any good works. If you want to be saved, your salvation doesn't come by works But God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. He was crucified and died for you and bore your sins in his body once and for all. What does it mean to have faith in Christ? It means to believe Jesus is who he said he was. That you're who he says you are. This is the solution to the problem that's plagued man from the beginning of creation. And it hasn't changed since the beginning of time. I was over doing my stuff this morning and Tim Maughan walked through and he said, I, I, I was over in the chapel and I found this note. So this was laying in here this morning. And it's, it's a journal and the date on it is November 23rd, 2009. So my hope is we've cleaned this room since 2009. <laughs> so my suspicion is somebody had it, their Bible, and it fell out. And I want to read it to you. And, and then just come at this from a couple of different angles. It's a journal. Went to church last night. EVBC. It was great. The teaching was awesome. Tom is amazing. He doesn't say that. I just don't, <laughs> know. I don't know. I never know. I, ah, this I know. I know it's what they meant. Sorry. I said, That's cheap. Went to church last night. EVBC. It was good. Listen now. And this is, this is like the person that's sitting down the aisle from you, or maybe it's you. Hope it fills what's missing in our life. Not sure where to turn. Feeling sad and empty. Help me, Lord. Bless my family. I want to run away, but not sure where. I feel sick and overwhelmed. I can't quit crying. I can't concentrate. This may, be the, this may be this next part, the saddest of all. I don't care anymore, so I move beyond angry. Too much for me to handle. I, I want to talk about that note from a perspective of just mankind in general because I don't know the spiritual condition of the person. Okay? I, I do know this, that, that as someone who doesn't know Christ I can easily move to this, especially if I'm a religious person, because I begin to see how futile this is. So I do good thing after good thing after good thing. Haven't some of you down that? Haven't you tried that road? I'll be good. I'll go to church. I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll work for Habitat for Humanity. I'll fill. I'll feed hungry people in Thanksgiving. I'll do all these things. But the more you do, the more you just say, "Well, they." But they're not bringing me any satisfaction. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon says, well, I'll try this, I'll try that, I'll try booze, I'll try achievement. You know, you got, I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to the game today, and, I, and, and normally Super Bowls don't, but I love both quarterbacks. But, but the sad part of this game is that somebody's going to win and think it's going to bring them happiness and wake up absolutely miserable tomorrow morning. So you could try it through athletics, you could try it through money. You can try it through, I'll get, if I get that girl, I'll be happy, or that guy, I'll be happy, or that scholarship, I'll be fulfilled. This is a cry for help. I hope it fills what's missing in our life, but there's no definition of what's missing. It's got the, it's got the evidence of an empty life. It's sad. I want to run away. I'm sick and overwhelmed. So let's deal with this, because maybe you're here this morning, and this would, like, represent your heart. And, and, and it may be that you need Jesus. It, it may be that what's wrong is that sin has separated you from God and what you're feeling at that moment is that isolation from him. We talk about Christmas, we talk about God and sin are reconciled. The book of Romans telling us, while I was an enemy of God, while, while I was a sinner, while I was at war with God, we got that, right? That term reconcile, let's make sure we understand it. So if I say to you, Bob and I have been reconciled, you don't know anything else. That's the only sentence you know about. It. All you know about me, all you know about him. Based on that, you know there had to be some pre-existing hostilities. If we say we are now reconciled, then there are these pre-existing hostilities. That's the evidence of my sin. So it may be here today, and you've gone maybe from church to church to church, and religion to religion, or maybe you've been here for a long time, and you've worked in student ministries and children's ministries, and you're working and working and working and working and working, but you don't—you're just pooped. Well, what does Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary burdened i'll give you rest it's pooped not from work it's from poop from working out my salvation so that may be what you need and if that's you or you're going i'm not exactly sure what he said that when the service is over in the conference center here in the chapel you need to come and meet with the people men and women will be in the front of the church here's what i'm afraid some of us miss this could be from written easily by a follower of christ just because I know Jesus doesn't mean my life is smooth and easy. I know know Bill Berger a little bit, and he alluded to a study. He comes to one of the studies I do on Thursday morning. And I'm telling you, when you hear the stories of what God's doing in his life, it's amazing. But some of you have had those, haven't you? And maybe it's when God first saved you. And like everything was... I remember a friend of mine came down and he was thinking about moving here he said he and i went to grade school high school together and we were over at southern and alma school we we're going into mimi's for breakfast and 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 we got out of the car and he said look at that sunrise and i said eh, it's like that every day <laughs> now i remember driving down. I drove at night. I came and, and, and came into Flagstaff at night and woke up the next morning. I was right there kind of down by uh, the, the very, I guess it would be south end of town. I woke up and I saw the, the San Francisco peaks and, all, and I was stunned at that. The sunsets that we have and all, but pretty soon you go, got any sunglasses? <laughs> there you go. You came to Christ and it was as live to you as it was to Bill Berger. And God was doing these things. But maybe over time, you just kind of drifted away. Maybe it's the disciplines. Maybe it's the, all the... There was that sense where he was so close, you could feel him. And now he feels so far away, you even wonder if he cares. So this could be you. Not sure what to do. Feeling sad and empty. Want to run away? You ever feel like that? Just want to run. I don't even know where. I'm overwhelmed. I want to quit. There's the deal. He's the hound of heaven. He won't let you run. You can run from him, I guess, but you can't hide. And the same Jesus you needed for salvation is the same Jesus you need to get through today. It's the same Jesus you need for your next breath. And that's what he's saying. You go down to verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm identified with Christ. I used to be united with the law, and now I'm united with Christ. In fact, it's not even I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's him who does all of this work in me. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We'll see that later in this book. It's the things that the Spirit produces in me. He's the vine. I'm the branches. He's the one who produces this. I've said it a thousand times. Anything you see in my life that's bad, that's me. Everything you see is good is Christ working in me. That's what he did. It's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what gets me through today. And here's the, thi- here's the thing that maybe you even hear, hear more. It, him who loved me. How do I know? He gave his life for me. Love is a magnificent thing that all of us crave. And we we'll all have it at different levels. You know, I've talked to people who who have never experienced love and never felt love. and Some people who feel very loved. And, and And we're going to look for love. We're going to look for it in all places and all different things. And typically, in the course of it, we're going to look at it in human relationships. And even in human relationships, no matter how much we genuinely love someone and how committed we are to them and... We're still going to disappoint them or hurt them, even if we declare that love. And, but something will happen. Something will reveal that or the other person will do something and that generates a feeling. And, but here's the deal. This, 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 this to me is the mind-blowing reality, is that God loves you perfectly. And he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you and he'll never let you down. He knows exactly what you need, and he'll give it to you. He may not give it to you in your timetable. He may not even give you the specific thing you need, but you'll say, I want this thing because it'll result in this, and he'll say, no, I'll give you this over here, and that'll give you that, and it's better. He's never going to say to you, if I knew that about you, I would have never declared my love for you. That while we were separated from God in this helpless state, at just the right time, Christ died so we would have everlasting life. He gave him, last part of verse 20, he gave himself up for us. Jesus says this in John 10, 17, 18, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one has taken it away from me. I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Voluntarily, Jesus went to the cross. And under no compulsion, by the way, did God have to save you. But out of his love, he did. Turn, turn uh, keep your finger. I don't even know if you need your finger there anymore. We're going to go to the right book of Ephesians. I, I, in a small group, and we meet three or four sessions through the year for a, a period of, of uh, five or six weeks at a time. And we're studying the book of Ephesians, and we just started the study this week, and, and, and we were looking at, at the very beginning of this. So verse 3, he's blessed us with spiritual every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he chose us in him. Now, we just look at the term in Christ. I think it was there three or four times in Galatians 2.16. It's here eight times in verses 3 through 13 here. He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. He predestined us to adoption. And we had this discussion, and you know where this is going to go. We had this discussion on the doctrines of grace and predestination and election and all the things that go with it. And and obviously, I feel really strongly about those truths, and, and it was not a new discussion. It's a discussion like every one I've ever had for guys who were objecting to it, and they would say, but I, I don't know if that's true. And they'd say, if that's true, what about this? And they'd never deal with the context of is it true and what God says. And the Bible teaches it. And, and how, how do you get around this? But what struck me, and, and maybe it's just where I am in my own life, maybe it's in the study of the book of Galatians, is I don't think God gave us these truths so that we would get together and then all of a sudden see this and start to just break down uh, uh, and, and have fights in disputes over these truths with all of our friends. I have one year, uh, one of the teams that have spring training here, that particular year, the entire pitching staff uh, would come to our house on Sunday night for a Bible study. And it got into the doctrines of grace. And, and in, a, I think it was in May, about the middle of May, the pitching staff of this team decided they couldn't talk about it anymore because it becomes so divisive on the pitching staff. Okay? Now, I believe these are true. God chose you before the foundations of the earth. I, I'd be a fool to say it's not true because that's what it says. And I believe he adopted you and that you're predestined. But here's the point to me. I think he tells you that so we understand how deeply he really does love you. I think he tells you that, listen, this was the condition you were in. You were helpless and hopeless and and you had no way out. But by my grace and my mercy, motivated by my love, I can stand up here and tell you that if you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, I'll tell you this, he loves you with a very special, deep love. And that love will never change. That, that, that love will never get more for you or less based on your performance. Isn't that an amazing truth? And there's great freedom in that. And that shouldn't make you say, oh, boy, I can sin. It should make you want to love him more. Isn't that it? Like that, you remember back that first time, there you are together, you're dating, hanging out. And then one of you, because one of you's got to say it first, but it's a scary thing to say because you put it out there, and they go, what? Huh? Really? Hmm. I don't like you very much. (laughs) But so many of you are going to say, I love you. And the minute you hear that, there's something about it. Because kind of even if you don't love the other person, it's like, well, I love you too. Because love kind of generates love. He says, I love you, and I'll prove it to you. I'll send Jesus to die so that you'll have eternal life. But it's not just about getting you to heaven. He says, the life I live, Christ lives in me. He said, you're a new creature. All that stuff, all those things, all that past sin and failure, all those things that you're embarrassed by, all those things that maybe you're going, there's no way God could ever forgive this. The sad, I, I think, if it's not the saddest, it's one of the saddest moments I've ever had teaching. I was talking about forgiveness and all this, and a guy came up afterwards, and he's just bawling, and he had, he's a drug guy, and he had left some drugs. He had the old shag carpet, and some of the drugs got in the carpet, and his kid had taken him. His little baby, I don't know, the baby was like two. So the baby had all problems. Here's what he said to me, we were all done. He said, there's no way God could ever forgive me for what happened, and I'm here to tell you, listen, that's what God does is forgive. All you have to do is come to Him. He's waiting to say you're forgiven. He's a God who loves you. And some of you say, Oh, I've never done anything like that, but you're just as lost. It doesn't take any more grace to save Jeffrey Dahmer than it does to save you. See, that's that condition. Those are those whole games we play. You're a new creature. There's the good news. So to this, I read, and I get it, man, but you may be a follower of Christ, and this may be you, that that there's something still missing, and you feel empty. I can tell you, the love that saved you is the love that will sustain you. It's not just Jesus to get to heaven. It's Jesus to get through the day. It's not just Jesus to get in the face, and that's great. But it's the Jesus that sustains me. When I look at someone and say, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't even know if I want to do this. Sometimes your heart is so broken and so heavy and so aching. and, And human relationships will do that to you. A spouse will blow out on you. A child will rebel against you. A friend will deny you. The job goes away. Life is filled with those disappointments, but the one place I'll never be disappointed is in Jesus. So that's what he says. Don't be afraid. Why? I'll never leave you or forsake you. A lot of people will, and even the ones that stay, it's an imperfect love. Let me give you four points really quickly here because it's the perfect summary of what we talked about. Number one, your greatest need is justification or acceptance by God. The greatest need you have is to some way as a sinful person, be accepted by a holy God. Number two, justification isn't by works through the law, but it's by faith in Christ. You need redemption, and the only place you're going to find it is in Christ, not through your effort. Martin Luther wrote, I must hearken to the gospel which teaches me not what I ought to do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for me, that he suffered and died... And delivered me from sin and death. The third thing is to not trust in Christ is to become uh, filled with self-trust and insult both to the grace of God and to the cross. When you say, okay, that I need to do this to be saved, what you're saying is, Jesus, you didn't accomplish what you said on the cross. When you say, this is what I need to do. I need to adhere to this law. I need to, I need to obey in this way. I need to respond. No, I'm saved by grace through faith. When Jesus said it is finished, this is, here you go. This is so important. This gets to the very essence of what Christ did on the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, what he meant was all that needs to be done for the salvation of his people through all time has been accomplished on the cross. If you say that there's something you need to do, then what you're saying is that on the cross, Jesus saved nobody. He only made salvation possible. That's a big difference. Christ didn't die to make salvation possible. Christ died to save his people from their sin. And the last point is to trust in Christ, is to become united with him. And, And in fact, because we're in Christ, we're more than justified. We've actually died and we've risen with him and the life we live is him living in us. I hope that's a message of encouragement, reminder for sure. It's just the gospel. But you know what? That's all we really have to preach. As we said last week, Tim Keller, the gospel just isn't the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z of Christianity. And and so Paul's context is within the the Judaizers. You may be with some faith in the past or just your inclination. Human nature will always say, I will be justified before God by what I do. Biblical Christianity will always say, what you do is nothing but sin. And God will never accept that. He can only accept you when you have what we saw in verse 16, Faith in Christ. Faith is more than mental assent. So again, if I, if, I, if I was talking to somebody from a Catholic church, they would say, I believe Jesus Christ died for my sin, but I need to. No, no, no. It's not to believe Jesus died for your sin, mentally, a mental ascent. It's to believe in a way that I'm trusting him and him alone. It's not going to happen this way, but it would be like this. If I were to die and stand before God and he would say, why should I let you, Tom, into heaven? I'd say, well, I'm paraphrasing now, you're kind of (laughs) stuck because you really shouldn't let me in because I really haven't done anything to deserve this. But here's what you said. You said if I believe in Jesus and his death that I'm in. Because that's how I'm justified. I am so united with Christ that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. When he, he doesn't even see my sin because they're washed away by what Christ accomplished in the cross. Like I said, this has been the story from the beginning of history of man. Next week, we will get a great example, Old Testament example. Look at the life of Abraham. So if you're over in the conference center, uh, uh, Matt is going to close that service. Neil's going to come here in the chapel. He's going to lead us in a time of communion. Then the music today, I worshiped uh, first hour. Uh, As you're singing these songs to those of you in the chapel, you're singing these songs today, look how perfect they express what we just talked about. So do that. Enjoy. And then just have fun today. This should be a great day. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for the gospel, the good news that Jesus accomplished what we couldn't for ourselves. That in the cross, we found everything we need pertaining to salvation. God, I pray now that we would live lives that would bring honor and glory to you. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.